Chapter Twenty of Dread: A Tale of the Great Dismal Swamp by Harriet Beecher Stowe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Dread, Chapter Twenty: Summer Talk at Canama in the course of a few days the family circle at canama was enlarged by the arrival of clayton's sister and carson in excellent spirits had started for a northern watering-place in answer to nina's letter of invitation anne had come with her father who was called to that vicinity by the duties of his profession nina received her with her usual gay frankness of manner and anne like many others soon found herself liking her future sister much better than she had expected perhaps had nina been in any other situation than that of hostess her pride might have led her to decline making the agreeable with anne whom notwithstanding she very much wished to please but she was mistress of the mansion and had an arab's idea of the privileges of a guest and so she chatted sang and played for her she took her about showed her the walks the arbors the flower garden waited on her in her own apartment with a thousand little attentions all the more fascinating from the kind of careless independence with which they were rendered besides nina had vowed a wicked little vow in her heart that she would ride roughshod over anne's dignity that she wouldn't let her be grave or sensible but that she should laugh and frolic with her and clayton could scarce help smiling at the success that soon crowned her exertions nina's gaiety when in full tide had a breezy infectiousness in it that seemed to stir up every one about her and carry them on the tide of her own spirits and anne in her company soon found herself laughing at everything and nothing simply because she felt gay to crown all uncle john gordon arrived with his cheery jovial face and he was one of those fearless hit-or-miss talkers that are invaluable in social dilemmas because they keep something or other all the while in motion with him came madame gordon or as nina commonly called her aunt maria she was a portly, finely formed, middle-aged woman who might have been handsome had not the lines of care and nervous anxiety ploughed themselves so deeply in her face. Her bright, keen hazel eyes, fine teeth, and the breadth of her ample form attested the vitality of the old Virginia stock from whence she sprang. "'There,' said Nina to Anne Clayton, as they sat in the shady side of the veranda, "'I've marshaled Aunt Maria up into Aunt Nesbitt's room, "'and there they will have a comfortable dish of lamentation over me.' "'Over you?' said Anne. "'Yes, over me, to be sure. "'That's the usual order of exercises. "'Such a setting down as I shall get. "'They'll count up on their fingers all the things I ought to know and don't, "'and ought to do and can't.' I believe that's the way relatives always show their affection, aunts in particular, by mourning over you. And what sort of list will they make out? said Anne. Oh, bless me, that's easy enough. Why, there's Aunt Maria is a perfectly virulent housekeeper, really insane, I believe, on that subject. Why, she chases up every rat and mouse and cockroach, every particle of dust, every scrap of litter she divides her hours and is as punctual as a clock 
she rules her household with a rod of iron and makes everybody stand round and tells each one how many times a day they may wink she keeps accounts like a very dragon and always is sure to pounce on anybody that is in the least out of the way she cuts out clothes by the bale she sews and she knits and she jingles keys and all this kind of bustle she calls housekeeping now what do you suppose she must think of me who just put on my hat in the morning and go sailing down the walks looking at the flowers till Aunt katie calls me back to know what my orders are for the day pray who is aunt katie said anne oh she's my female prime minister and she is very much like some prime ministers i have studied about in history who always contrive to have their own way let what will come now when aunt katie comes and wants to know so respectfully what miss nina is going to have for dinner do you suppose she has the least expectation of getting anything that i order she always has fifty objections to anything that i propose for sometimes the fit comes over me to try to be housekeeping like aunt maria but it's no go i can tell you so when she has proved that everything that i propose is the height of absurdity and shown conclusively that there is nothing fit to be eaten in the neighborhood by that time i am reduced to a proper state of mind and when i humbly say aunt katie what shall we do then she gives a little cough and out comes the whole program just as she had arranged it the night before and so it goes as to accounts why harry has to look after them i detest everything about money except the spending of it i have a rather a talent for that now just think how awfully all this must impress poor aunt maria what sighings and rollings up of eyes and shakings of heads there are over me and then aunt nesbitt is always dinging at me about improving my mind and improving my mind means reading some horrid stupid boring old book just as she does now i like the idea of improving my mind i am sure it wants improving bad enough but then i can't help thinking that racing through the garden and cantering through the woods improves it faster than getting asleep over books it seems to me that books are just like dry hay very good when there isn't any fresh grass to be had but i'd rather be out and eat what's growing now what people call nature never bores me but almost every book i ever saw does don't you think people are made differently some like books and some like things don't you think so i can give you a good fact on your side of the argument said clayton who had come up behind them during the conversation i didn't know i was arguing but i shall be glad to have anything on my side of course well then i'll say that the books that have influenced the world the longest the widest and the deepest have been written by men who attended to things more than to books who as you say eat what was growing instead of dry hay homer couldn't have had much time to read in his time nor the poets of the bible and they have been the fountains for all ages i don't believe shakespeare was much of a reader well but said anne don't you think that for us common folks who are not going to be either homers or shakespeare's that it's best to have two strings of our bow and to gain instruction both from books and things to be sure said clayton if we only use books right with many people reading is only a form of mental indolence by which they escape the labor of thinking for themselves 
some persons are like pharaoh's lean kine they swallow book upon book but remain as lean as ever my grandfather used to say said anne that the bible and shakespeare were enough for a woman's library well said nina i don't like shakespeare there i'm coming out flat with it in the first place i don't understand half he says and then they talk about his being so very natural i'm sure i never heard people talk as he makes them now did you ever hear people talk in blank verse with every now and then one or two lines of rhyme as his characters do when they go off in long speeches now did you as to that said clayton it's about half and half his conversations have just about the same resemblance to real life that acting at the opera has it is not natural for norma to burst into a song when she discovers the treachery of her husband you make that concession to the nature of the opera in the first place and then with that reserve all the rest strikes you as natural and the music gives an added charm to it so in shakespeare you concede that the plays are to be poems and that the people are to talk in rhythm and with all the exultation of poetic sentiment and that being admitted their conversations may seem natural but i can't understand a great deal that shakespeare says because so many of the usages are altered since he wrote because there are so many allusions to incidents that have passed and customs that have perished that you have as it were to acquire his language before you can understand him suppose a poem were written in a foreign tongue you couldn't say whether you liked it or disliked it till you could read the language now my opinion is that there is a liking for shakespeare hidden in your nature like a seed that has not sprouted what makes you think so oh i see it in you just as a sculptor sees a statue in a block of marble oh and you are going to chisel it out with your leave after all i like your sincerity in saying what you think i have often heard ladies profess an admiration for shakespeare that i knew couldn't be real i knew that they had neither the experience of life nor the insight into human nature really to appreciate what is in him and that their liking for him was all a worked-up affair because they felt it would be very shocking not to like him well i'm much obliged to you for all the sense you find in my nonsense i believe i shall keep you to translate my fooleries into good english you know i'm quite at your disposal for that or anything else said clayton at this moment the attention of nina was attracted by loud exclamations from that side of the house where the negro cottages were situated get along off don't want none of your old trash here no no miss nina don't want none of your old fish she got plenty of niggers to catch her own fish somebody's taking my name in vain in those regions said nina running to the other end of the veranda tom tit she said to that young worthy who lay flat on his back kicking up his heels in the sun waiting for his knives to clean themselves pray tell me what's going on there laws missus said tom it's just one of these here poor white trash coming round here trying to sell one thing another miss lou says it won't do to encourage em and i's the same opinion send him round here to me said nina who partly from humanity and partly from a spirit of contradiction had determined to take up for the poor white folks on all occasions 
tom tit ran accordingly and soon brought to the veranda a man whose wretchedly tattered clothing scarcely formed a decent covering his cheeks were sunken and hollow and he stood before nina with a cringing half-ashamed attitude and yet one might see that with better dress and better keeping he might be made to assume the appearance of a handsome intelligent man what do you ask for your fish she said to him anything ye pleases where do you live said nina drawing out her purse my folks stay on mr gordon's place why don't you get a place of your own to stay on there was an impatient glance flashed from the man's eye but it gave place immediately to his habitual cowed expression as he said can't get work can't get money can't get nothing dear me said her uncle john who had been standing for a moment listening to the conversation this must be the husband of that poor hobgoblin that has lighted down on my place lately well you may as well pay him a good price for his fish keep them from starving one day longer maybe and nina paid the man a liberal sum and dismissed him i suppose now all my eloquence wouldn't make rose cook those fish for dinner why not if you told her so said aunt maria who had also descended to the veranda why not just because as she would say she hadn't laid out to do it that's not the way my servants are taught to do said aunt maria i'll warrant not but yours and mine are quite different affairs aunt they all do as they have a mind to in my diggings all i stipulated for is a little of the same privilege <laughs> that man's wife and children have come and squatted down on my place said mr gordon laughing and so nine all you paid for his fish is just so much saving to me yes to be sure mr gordon is just one of those men who will have a tribe of shiftless hangers-on at his heels said mrs gordon well bless my soul what's a fellow to do can't see the poor heathen starve can we if society could only be organized over now there would be hope for them the brain ought to control the hands but among us the hands try to set up for themselves and see what comes of it who do you mean by brain said nina who why we upper crust to be sure we educated people we ought to have an absolute sway over the working classes just as the brain rules the hand it must come to that at last no other arrangement is possible the white working classes can't take care of themselves and must be put into a condition for us to take care of them what is liberty to them only a name liberty to be hungry and naked that's all it's the strangest thing in the world how people stick to names i suppose that fellow up there would flare up terribly at being put in with my niggers and yet he and his children are glad of the crumbs that fall from their table it's astonishing to me how with such examples before them any decent man can be so stone blind as to run a tilt against slavery just compare the free working classes with our slaves dear me the blindness of people in this world it's too much for my patience particularly in hot weather said mr john wiping his face with a white pocket-handkerchief well but uncle john said nina my dear old gentleman you haven't travelled as i have no child i thank the lord i never stepped my foot out of a slave state and i never mean to said uncle john but you ought to see the northern working people said nina 
why the governors of the states are farmers sometimes and work with their own men the brain and the hand go together in each one not one great brain to fifty pair of hands and i tell you work is done up there very differently from what's done here just look at our ploughs and our hoes the most ridiculous things that i ever saw i should think one of them would weigh ten pounds well if you don't have em heavy enough to go into the ground by their own weight these cussed lazy nigs won't do anything with em they'd break a dozen yankee hoes in a forenoon said uncle john now uncle john you dear old heathen you do let me tell you a little how it is there i went up into new hampshire once with libby ray to spend a vacation libby's father is a farmer works part of every day with his own men hoes digs plants but he is governor of the state he has a splendid farm all in first-rate order and his sons with two or three hired men keep it in better condition than our places ever saw mr ray is a man who reads a great deal has a fine library and he's as much of a gentleman as you'll often see there are no high and low classes there everybody works and everybody seems to have a good time livy's mother has a beautiful dairy spring-house and two strong women to help her and everything in the house looks beautifully and for the greater part of the day the house seems so neat and still you wouldn't know anything had been done in it seems to me this is better than making slaves of all the working classes or having any working classes at all how wise young ladies always are said uncle john undoubtedly the millennium is begun in new hampshire but pray my dear what part do young ladies take in all this seems to me nine you haven't picked up much of this improvement in person oh as to that i labor in my vocation that is of enlightening dull sleepy old gentlemen who never traveled out of the state they were born in and don't know what can be done i come as a missionary to them and i'm sure that it's work enough for one well said aunt maria i know i'm as great a slave as any of the poor whites or negroes either there isn't a soul in my whole troop that pretends to take any care except me either about themselves or their children or anything else i hope that isn't a slant at me said uncle john shrugging his shoulders i must say you're as bad as any of them said aunt maria there it goes now i'm getting it i declare the next time we get a preacher out here i'm going to make him hold forth on the duties of wives and husbands too said aunt maria do said nina i should like a little perspective information nina as often spoke before she thought uncle john gave a malicious look at clayton nina could not recall the words she colored deeply and went on hastily to change the subject at any rate i know that aunt here has a much harder time than housekeepers do in the free states just the shoes she wears out chasing up her negroes would hire help enough to do all her work they used to have an idea up there that all the southern ladies did was to lie on the sofa i used to tell them it was as much as they knew about it your cares don't seem to have worn you much said uncle john well they will uncle john if you don't behave better it's enough to break anybody down to keep you in order i wish said uncle john shrugging up his shoulders and looking quizzically at clayton somebody would take warning for my part said aunt maria i know one thing i'd be glad to get rid of my negroes sometimes i think life is such a burden that i don't think it's worth having 
oh no you don't mother said uncle john not with such a charming husband as you've got who relieves you from all care so perfectly i declare said nina looking along the avenue what's that why if there isn't old tiff coming along with his children who is he said aunt maria oh he belongs to one of these miserable families said aunt nesbitt that have squatted in the pine woods somewhere about here a poor worthless set but nina has a great idea of patronizing them clear gordon every inch of her said aunt maria as nina ran down to meet tiff just like her uncle come now old lady i'll tell of you if you don't take care said mr gordon didn't i find you putting up a basket of provisions for those folks you scolded me so for taking in scold mr gordon i never scold i beg pardon that you reproved me for ladies generally are not displeased for being reproached for their charities and aunt maria whose bark to use a vulgar proverb was infinitely worse than her bite sat fanning herself with an air of self-complacency meanwhile nina had run down the avenue and was busy in a confidential communication with tiff on her return she came skipping up the steps apparently in high glee oh uncle john there's the greatest fun getting up you must all go certainly what do you think tiff says there's to be a camp meeting in the neighborhood only about five miles off from his place let's make up a party and all go that's the time of day said uncle john i enroll myself under your banner at once i am open to improvement anybody wants to convert me here i am the trouble with you uncle john said nina is that you don't stay converted you're just like one of these heavy fishes you bite very sharp but before anybody can get you fairly on to the bank you are flapping and floundering back into the water and down you go into your sins again i know at least three ministers who thought they had hooked you out but they were mistaken for my part said aunt maria i think these camp meetings do more harm than good they collect all the scum and the riff-raff of the community and i believe there is more drinking done at camp meetings in one week than is done in six anywhere else then of course all the hands will want to be off and mr gordon has brought them up so that they feel dreadfully abused if they are not in with everything that's going on i shall set down my foot this year that they shan't go any day except sunday my wife knows that she was always celebrated for having the handsomest foot in the country and so she is always setting it down at me said mr gordon for she knows that a pretty foot is irresistible with me mr gordon how can you talk so i should think that you'd got old enough not to make such silly speeches said aunt maria silly speeches it's a solemn fact and you won't hear anything truer at the camp meeting said uncle john but come clayton will you go my dear fellow your grave face will be an appropriate ornament to the scene i can assure you and as to miss anne it won't do for an old fellow like me in this presence to say what a happiness it would be i suspect said anne edward is afraid he may be called on for some of the services people are always taking him for a clergyman and asking him to say grace at meals and to conduct family prayers when he is travelling among strangers it's a comment on our religion that these should be thought peculiar offices of clergymen said clayton every christian man ought to be ready and willing to take them 
I honor that sentiment, said Uncle John. A man ought not so be ashamed of his religion anywhere, no more than a soldier of his colors. I believe there's more religion hid in the hearts of honest laymen now than is plastered up behind the white cravats of clergymen, and they ought to come out with it. Not that I have any disrespect for the clergy, either, said Uncle John. Fine men, a little stiffish, and don't call things by good English names, always talking about dispensation and sanctification and edification and so forth. But I like them. They are sincere. I suppose they wouldn't any of them give me a chance for heaven, because I rip out with an oath every now and then. But the fact is, what with niggers and overseers and white trash, my chances of salvation are dreadfully limited. I can't help swearing now and then if I was to die for it. They say it's dreadfully wicked, but I feel more Christian when I let out than when I keep in. Mr. Gordon, said Aunt Maria reprovingly, do consider what you're saying. My dear, I am considering. I am considering all the time. I never do anything else but consider, except, as I said before, every now and then, and when what's-his-name gets the advantage over me. And hark you, Mrs. G., let's have things ready at our house, if any of the clergy would like to spend a week or so with us. And we could get them up some meetings, or any little thing in their line. I always like to show respect for them. "'Our beds are always prepared for company, Mr. Gordon,' said Aunt Maria, with a stately air. "'Oh, yes, yes, I don't doubt that. I only meant some special preparation, some little fatted calf-killing, and so on.' "'Now,' said Donna, "'shall we set off tomorrow morning?' "'Agreed,' said Uncle John. End of chapter 20. Summer Talk at Canemaw.